In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. On the 12th day of Craig's List, Carla, watch with me. 12 gospel choirs, 11 preachers preaching, 10 subway tokens, 9 solid gold dancers dancing, 8 mogwais milking, 7 gremlins grimling, 6 future in-laws, 5 bumpus dogs. Four Christmas ghosts, three dog dares, two river otters, and a red rider carbon extra 200 shot range model air rifle. Okay, we need to break this down. Okay, great. Let's go through it again. On the. Oh, do you want me to sing the entire song? Let's go line by line. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- this is all about the movies that we watched this time. I don't. I... Oh, I see. So seven through 12. Yes. Okay. No, all these are new. All these are new for this oh, episode. Are. Yes. Well, let's go through it. These are all things that we saw. Well, 12 gospel choirs doesn't seem accurate. No. There's one gospel choir with more than 12 people in it. The preacher's wife. That's the preacher's wife. Yeah. 11 preachers preaching. The preacher's wife. That's the preacher's wife. 10 subway tokens. That's while you were sleeping. That's correct. Nine solid gold dancers dancing. Solid gold dancers dancing. I don't know what that is. Well, that might be part of the problem with this movie. Oh, Scrooge? It's Scrooged, yeah. Do you not know who the solid gold dancers were? Oh, right. The, the ladies who showed their nips. <laughs> is that right? They were ladies who were famous for showing their nips. <laughs> uh, solid gold was a syndicated television show that... Uh, counted down the top hits of the day and the solid gold dancers were a dance troupe who would come out and do choreographed dances to the hits that they couldn't get the artist there to to lip sync their song and so at the beginning of scrooged uh there's all these references that are quintessentially 80s the solid gold dancers being among them wow okay that's the problem with the movie, right? That's the only problem. That's the only problem that <laughs> that they have the solid gold dancers in it. Uh, eight mogwais milking. Yeah, gremlins. great. That's gremlins. Seven gremlins grimling. Gremlins again. Great. Six future in laws. Six future in laws. Would this be while you were sleeping? I think so. Okay. Five bumpus dogs. Five bumpus dogs. I there there might is. be more. What is that? Well, the bumpuses oh, are the, the neighbors the of the... Neighbors. Yeah, yeah. The, with all the dogs. Yeah. Four Christmas ghosts. I thought bumpus was a breed. It should be. <laughs> and it could be. Four Christmas ghosts. Scrooged. Yeah. I mean, there's... Of course, there's the famous three that show up, but only because one more ghost tells you that they're coming. Okay. There's a total of four ghosts in any version of Christmas Carol. All right, Craig. Okay. Three dog dares. Three, yeah, Christmas Story. I triple dog dare you. Yeah. Two river otters. Yeah, that Muppet movie. <laughs> That's from the Muppet movie. 
And a Red Ryder Carbine Actual 200 shot range model air rifle. Christmas story. Is, of course, while you were sleeping. <laughs> Interesting that you only used one from the Muppet thing we watched. I wonder if that's telling of what kind of treat that was. Was I supposed to have two from each? I don't know. You did for all the others, didn't you? Well, it's always great to start out an episode with notes on the... <laughs> <laughs> on the stupid bit you spent 30 seconds writing. No, I wasn't giving you notes. I was just saying that maybe it wasn't a great thing to pull from. Maybe there wasn't a lot of content there. Okay, we can get into that. <laughs> Hi, Craig's listeners. Merry Christmas. It's the day after Christmas, actually, so all the Christmas spirit has been extinguished. I think you're being very sarcastic when I'm just saying the exact same thing about the Muppet thing that you just said about Scrooge. <laughs> Uh, how was your Christmas, Carlo? It was great. How was yours, Craig? It was lovely. I was right there with you. We really gifted the Magi at ourselves with jigsaw puzzles. Yeah, we did. We got so many jigsaw puzzles. I Though think. I guess it would only be gift of the Magi if I had sold my re- puzzle-building hand in order to buy you <laughs> <laughs> a jigsaw puzzle. I'm glad you didn't do that. No, I still have both my hands. Yep. We got a jigsaw puzzle with us on it from your mother. Yeah, picture of me and you. Uh, so so that's fun. We got a couple of weird European jigsaw puzzles that we've built before. What are they called? West West Jugi? They're Dutch, and uh, yeah, was Wasjidge? Wasjidge? Yeah, that's it. And it's basically like if you imagine the picture on the box is not the picture you're trying to recreate. It's like panels in a comic strip, and you're trying to build the next panel. Yeah. It's very challenging. It is. It's very fun, though. All right, so we're going to have a lot of time building jigsaw puzzles in the new year. I got you a Where's Bowie. Yes, that's awesome. I can't wait to do that. So it's like Where's Waldo, except it's uh, Where's David Bowie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and everybody's dressed like they're at a David Bowie concert. Yeah, That's really fun. Uh but uh, but it's the day after Christmas, and we have finished our 12 days of Craigslist movie-watching marathon of 12 holiday movies in 12 nights. Uh, you know, the 12 days of Christmas, I thought of it as the 12 days leading up to and culminating in, in Christmas. I did, too. But, in fact, the 12 days of Christmas begin on Christmas. Oh. And they end on uh, Epiphany. Which is January 6th. Wow. So technically, we should have started this countdown. How did, how did we mess that up? How did we not know that? I don't think anybody knows that. They didn't right? teach us that in school. They kept it out of the textbooks. Even in Catholic school? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Epiphany, sometimes called Three Kings Day, is January 6th. So those are the 12 days wow. of Christmas. But it feels like, at least in, uh, in America in 2020, it's the opposite, right? Yes. That you have huge anticipation for the holiday all, you know, from Thanksgiving on. And then December 26th, you shut down. Yes. And uh, become a selfish, a selfish, heartless napping person. Well, you added the selfish, heartless stuff. <laughs> I just want to nap. We both napped yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I made steak fajitas. Yeah. Those which- Zoom family conversations take it out of you. That's right. We had three Zoom family conversations. Yeah. And steak fajitas. That yeah. were delicious. Thank you. 
You did a good job. The marinade is the is the trick. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we already tipped off what our six movies and or Christmas specials are for yep. this episode. So we watched uh, Gremlins, a 1984 horror comedy action family film yep. by Joe Dante, produced by Steven Spielberg. We watched While You Were Sleeping, a heartwarming 1995 rom-com starring Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman, set in Chicago. We watched Scrooged, a 1988 Richard Donner adaptation of the classic Charles Dickens Christmas Carol, updated with a uh, television executive played by Bill Murray. Yep. We watched Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. <laughs> a childhood favorite of mine that I believe also warmed Carla's heart. <laughs> Enough to induce her to nap permanently 17 minutes into the special. Uh, what else did we watch? We watched the Timeless uh, Classic A Christmas Story, 1983. And we watched The Preacher's Wife, 1996, I believe, starring yep. Denzel Washington, Courtney B. Vance, and the late Whitney Houston, directed by Penny Marshall. Yeah. And a adaptation of The Bishop's Wife, a movie I have not seen. <laughs> uh, so we could watch that today. We could watch that today. Or we could just move on from Christmas movies <laughs> and watch Wonder Woman. Uh, Carla, let's start with Gremlins. Okay. And let's do this going chronologically through the movie with a segment that we like to call Carlos. Carlos quotes. What? <laughs> She's feeling her oats and Greg's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carlos quotes. I, I would have been a young teenager in 1984 when Gremlins came out. I definitely saw it. If not opening weekend, I saw it early. And, uh, I mean, it, it was one of like the seminal movies of my, Teen years, certainly, but I haven't really thought about it or gone back to it in a number of years. Yeah. How about for you? Okay. I think that I haven't seen Gremlins since I was a kid. What are we talking, like seven or eight or older? Yeah, probably the, probably that around that age. I know that I watched Gremlins 2 more in my house than we ever did. I might have only seen Gremlins once because as we were watching it, I really had no memory of it. Which is strange, except for the monologue, the Phoebe Cates monologue. But that's because it's made fun of in other uh-huh. movies and stuff. It's widely mocked. Right. <clears throat> um, so this is so strange because this has happened a couple times where the sequel was more popular in my childhood home than the original was, including with Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones. Really? Yeah. So it was Temple of Doom, I think we said, was the was your Indiana Jones movie? Yeah. It's always the second one, right? Is that strange? I think that's strange. You guys are weirdos. Yes. I think it just hit us at a different age where it was like a new release and so we became obsessed with it or something, like the second one. There are people who like Gremlins 2 more, I think. I've only seen it once and years after the release. I think we watched it sometime within the last 10 years. Yeah. And there's that whole Key and Peele sketch about uh, Hollywood executives on cocaine coming up with Gremlins 2. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like Adam's Family Values where it's a little more satirical and just a little more over the top. And just like, we're just going for it. Making fun of itself a little bit. Yeah. There, there's, it's, 
much more meta, though Gremlins is fairly meta as yeah, well. That's like true. Mm-hmm. Joe Dante is kind of notorious for throwing in references to other movies in every movie he makes. Uh, so this was written by Chris Columbus. Oh. Um, it was originally a spec script by him. He did not intend for it to ever be made. But Steven Spielberg had kind of taken Chris Columbus under his wing and uh, decided to make everything that he wrote. Uh, apparently, he was living in a loft apartment in New York City. And during the night, he would hear mice skittering around <laughs> above his head. And that allowed him to imagine the uh, the gremlins. Wow. And uh, gremlins, the derivation of the word dates back to, I believe, World War II. It's British flyers. Uh, air pilots would, uh, for any like mechanical failures that were going on with their planes, they would attribute it to gremlins that were messing around, tinkering around uh, with the with the engine. And one theory that I read behind that says it's a way of like deflecting blame off of ourselves. Like clearly, like somebody, you know, uh, right. a supernatural, a mechanic thing. screwed up or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, so rather than blaming the British Army or the the British Air Force uh, for the Royal Air Force, the RAF, I should say, uh, you attribute it to some supernatural creature, and so it's a way of keeping morale up rather than blaming each other. Oh, wow. And then Roald Dahl's first book was called The Gremlins and was inspired by that. I did not know that. But this movie kind of reimagines that. Great. Benny, uh, of course, who... (laughs) Who sits on his ass for 23 hours a day (laughs) during the one hour we choose to podcast... Is playing with squeaky toys. I think the sound right of our voices gets him excited. Like he thinks that there's a party or something going uh-huh. on. I'd like to think that we're that for all the Craig's listeners as well. <laughs> <laughs> they think a party's going on. Um, and the movie as written was even darker. <gasps> really? Um, yes. Uh, and I, I think Spielberg Spielbergized it quite a bit yeah. to, to make it more palatable. But this movie, along with the aforementioned Temple of Doom, was kind of notorious for being too hard for a PG rating. Uh, but clearly, you know, they wanted it to be family friendly enough to not be an R movie. So this movie and Temple of Doom created the PG-13 rating. Oh. Uh, probably because a lot of parents complained about how gruesome a lot of gremlins is. Yeah, it's pretty gross. And there's one point where I think it's the, the science teacher, right? Uh-huh. Uh, gets attacked and you're like, is he dead? And I'm like, oh no, no, he's not dead, but I think he is dead. Yeah, you never see him again. I, I think they don't really cover, and then the old lady as well gets killed. Yeah. Right? I think there's the a multiple guy. person body count in this movie. Yeah. But the impact of them actually being dead isn't really discussed. So it's almost like they want to have their cake and eat it too. Right. Right? Where it is kind of teetering <laughs> on, we'd like it to be as dark as, as an R rated horror movie, but we also want it to be a PG family friendly Spielberg movie yeah. as well. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Right. <laughs> I think the tension between those extremes, uh, kind of makes it interesting. There, one of your favorite scenes, I think, is when the mom kicks ass in the kitchen. Yeah, she's right? great. And slices up the, the gremlins in the blender. That was gross. Well, there were, the original script, Billy's mother dies. 
in her struggle with the gremlins with her head thrown down the stairs when Billy arrives. What? There was also a scene where the gremlins ate Billy's dog. <gasps> oh my gosh. There, here's another thing. A ri- also, instead of Stripe being a Mogwai who becomes a gremlin, there was originally no Mogwai named Stripe. Rather, Gizmo was supposed to transform into Stripe the gremlin. Spielberg overruled this plot element as he felt Gizmo was cute and that audiences would want him to be present throughout the film. Yeah, I agree. Spielberg knows what he's talking about, Craig. <laughs> they sold a lot of Gizmo toys. Do you, do you agree? I think he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we agree the, on something. So the, the movie opens on Rand Peltzer, an inventor played by Hoyt Axton, and he's in Chinatown, uh, partially looking for a Christmas present for his son, but also partially to try to sell his shitty inventions to, yeah, to people. That's a pretty cute thing, too. <clears throat> and uh, when he goes into the old uh, Chinese curiosity shop, Carla says, in my memory, his grandfather is Mr. Miyagi, but that is clearly not the case. <laughs> By the way, Cobra Kai is so fun. You've been you've been uh, binging Cobra Kai. Yeah, I'm all up to date, so I can watch season three. Really, you watch season one and two in like two days? Well, not true, but like three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm glad. I'm glad you're into it. Um, Mogwai, by the way, is Cantonese for devil. So, oh. like, if Rand Peltzer spoke Cantonese, like that would have been a tip off right away. And uh, so he has this adorable little creature, a mogwai, that he names Gizmo, uh, and that he manages to convince the grandson to to kind of sell him the mogwai on the slide. What are the three rules, though, that you need to adhere to? Keep when... him out of light. Uh-huh. Um, don't let him get wet. Yeah. With water. Yeah, wet with water. Wet with water. And uh, don't feed him after midnight. There you go. That's so, easy enough. That's easy I can enough. Take care of a mogwai. <laughs> Stick to those three rules and you'll be fine. But Billy fucks up right away. Right away. Well, it's really Corey Feldman who messes it up. Uh, well, I mean, definitely they've exposed him to bright light a little earlier. But yeah, but Corey Feldman is the one who gets him wet for yeah. the first time. I mean, the light thing just kind of hurts him. Yeah, like a vampire. Bright light. Bright light. Yeah. Bright light. Bright light. This is all shot in the Universal backlight. It's the same town square as Back to the Future, which is kind of mind-blowing. That's funny. Shot the year before. That's funny. <clears throat> Wait. Well, didn't we, weren't we watching something and I said it's like in Back to the Future? Gremlins? Maybe it was Gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have this quote right here. It's like in Back to the Future. <laughs> When Mrs. Deagle, the mean old lady, came out, you said this feels like a Scrooge movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judge Reinhold is everyone's favorite asshole. Uh, I love what he calls him Captain Clip-On. <laughs> what happened to him? <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? That he's set up as the antagonist for the movie, right? Yeah. And then the character totally disappears. He doesn't even get like killed by the gremlins, right? So what happened there? I think there were subplots excised from this movie. What a strange choice to make, to like give him any screen time at all just to have him disappear it's weird right yeah uh he and phoebe cates of course had played uh were they brother and sister in fast times at ridgemont high oh i don't remember uh oh no 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 they're they're, sorry they're definitely not brother and sister do they have sex (laughs) no but he famously masturbates to her oh okay 
famously. I don't remember. It must not be the famous <clears throat> enough because I don't remember anything about that movie. Judge Reinhold's sister is Jennifer Jason Lee, right. and her friend is Phoebe. She Cates. has an abortion. I remember that. Yep. Not a not a holiday movie. Controversy. Uh, <laughs> controversy. <laughs> uh, when he first brings the Mogway home, Carla said, "I love that they're not even like what kind of animal is this." <laughs> They're just like, wow. It just looks like a cute little puppet is what it looks like. And that's what it is. That It's totally a puppet. But, yeah, I mean, it looks fake, but is also like it works somehow. The special effects work in this, I think. Um, (laughs) And then his dad, who who has all these kind of contraptions in the kitchen, none of which work, uh, when Billy tries to make some orange juice, he puts one orange into this machine and just a an orgy of orange <laughs> gunk gets all over the kitchen. Carla said, that was one orange. <laughs> I know how that works. I have a juicer. <clears throat> uh, you need th- like 20 oranges to make a glass of orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> you do. It's not worth it. It's not. It's not it worth it at all. It <laughs> So d- did you enjoy watching this again? I did, yeah. I thought it was really fun. I thought it worked pretty well. Yeah. I mean, we just complained about things that didn't work about it, but I thought overall it was a fun ride. Yeah. I mean, the gremlins, I think, are legitimately creepy. Yeah. They're scary. Uh, and then Stripe is the worst. He's the worst. Right? He's a real asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I love the part in the bar. Where Phoebe Case is just, like, serving them. <laughs> she has no obligation to serve them, right? <laughs> I feel like the movie is in on the joke, though. I, I feel like it's it, it's aware of its own ridiculousness and is having fun with that. I feel more like, in that part specifically, I, I mean, I agree with you, but I also feel like they just assume that we know stuff. So we're just supposed to assume that she's being held hostage, even though we didn't see. That's right. Maybe that scene threat. is... Yeah. Maybe that scene was cut, right? Yeah. <laughs> but as far as we know, she's just been like serving them for three hours, you know. <laughs> uh they're not tipping her, like she's like, Oh, another drink. Fine, here. <laughs> and then what's the movie that all the gremlins go see that they fall in love with? Oh, I forget. It's Craigslist favorite, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Oh. <laughs> Craigslist favorite. No longer on Craigslist, thanks to Carla and Stephen C. James, our guest. <laughs> Taken off. Taken off the list. Taking it off. Uh, and the gremlins all burn alive watching <laughs> watching that movie. <laughs> but then things like the... Uh, uh, the, the bubbly? The, what's that? The skin bubble? The skin bubble. Like, it's gross, it man. It's gross. It's but, like, yeah. But it's all pretty original. Uh, that's gremlins. It's like the water's acid for them. It is. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's move on to While You Were Sleeping. Okay. This is a favorite of yours. It is. I love this movie. And every time I watch it, I'm like, am I still going to like this? And I do. <laughs> it holds up for you multiple times. Yeah. And you rented it, but I have it on DVD. I forgot. Well, we learn the hard way sometimes. Yeah. And not all DVDs look great on our TV, right? The, some of these DVDs are so old that yeah. they're, they're not formatted properly to fill these modern television screens for our TV that we got 10 years ago. Yeah, we don't have a modern television screen. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't get one for Christmas. Nice try. Either. Uh, what do you love about this movie? Um, I just think it's so romantic. And the chemistry between Bill Pullman and um, What's-Her-Face 
Sandra Bullock. How dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. I took a, a couple edibles last night, and uh-huh. I do not feel like it's shooken off. <laughs> so you're still flying high. No, I'm just like tired. Yeah. I've been sick, you guys, for what feels like a year. But it's not COVID, so that's okay then. They say that that's one of the symptoms of COVID. It causes you to forget Sandra Bullock's name. <laughs> I read that somewhere. You lose your sense of taste, smell, and the ability to remember Sandra Bullock. Um, so their chemistry is really strong. And I love the backdrop of Chicago because I love Chicago. And I I think it's genuinely funny and clever, the plot. Okay. That's why I love it. Okay. Uh, oh, did you fall asleep? Because I did when I was talking. <laughs> while you were talking. <laughs> you fell asleep. <laughs> while I was sleeping. <laughs> My problem with this movie, I think, is... Oh, no. Well, I think it's the contrived plot, I think. It's a rom-com. It is a rom-com, but I think it ushered in the era of the high-concept rom-com. Mm. Where it isn't enough just to have chemistry between the leads. You need some sort of ridiculous plot device keeping them apart. Mm. And so maybe I'm holding this movie to to task for kind of ushering in that era. But I think that's my least favorite part of it uh, is how contrived the plot is and how much pains they take to keep it going to have. But they keep heightening it in a fun way. I don't know. I also uh, think... Um... Oh, no. What was I going to say? Keep talking. I don't remember. Well, I just think there's too many, like, wacky misunderstandings in it that, you know, at any point, you know, Roger Ebert calls it the idiot plot, not specifically about this movie, but any movie where the entire plot of the movie could be ended by anybody telling the truth at any point. Here's why I would disagree. Because she has such a strong need in this movie, which is to have a family, which is also a really sweet thing to be missing and to want in your life Mm -hmm. and anybody who knows the truth knows that about her and how alone how lonely she is and how you know her dad just died and so they're not going to put her in a position where she would have to tell the truth so in my opinion it works well here's the thing (laughs) (laughs) here's the thing that smooths it over is is what's her face? Um, the lead actress in the movie, Julie Roberts. Oh shit! I have, I have COVID. I have COVID. <laughs> Sandy, she's great. She's great in she's it. She's wonderful. She's I don't know that, really adorable. That anybody can make it work better than her. And I think the cast overall in this movie is fantastic. Bill Pullman is so great to see Bill Pullman, Pullman in the Pullman in the romantic lead because he gets shit on so hard in Sleepless in Seattle. That's right. Yeah, he des- he deserved to come back. He's such a nice guy that. in Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. So Carla, there's a quote: "It only works because she's such a good actress." Yeah, she's so great in it. This uh, was the first thing I saw where I was like, "She's wonderful." I had seen Speed, but I was just like, "Whatever." Yeah, I kind of remember like speed being the thing that really broke her, and I yeah. think it did. But she really had been working for a few years before that. It felt like she was somebody that like sometimes there's people that Hollywood is like just trying to make them happen, and that doesn't really take until they find the right thing. This was well, after Speed, though. Yeah, yeah, this is the year after Speed. Yeah, um, she was the lead in the television adaptation of Working Girl. She was Tess oh. in the TV version. I didn't know that she was also in a Sylvester Stallone movie. 
Yeah, was that Demolition Man? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she ha- she had been working definitely, but I feel like this and Speed, the the one two punch of that, really made her a star. But she deserves to be a star. Yeah. Uh, based on this, she's just like the ideal rom com female lead. Yeah. Uh, what's the biggest problem with this movie though? What's the biggest problem with this movie? I don't know. Joe Junior. Oh, Joe Junior is the worst character. It's a terrible performance. Aww. And it, look, the actor is fine. I liked him on The Sopranos. I think it's partially in the writing. You know, I think the writing is a little shaky in this movie. Oh, you're so wrong. I think the <laughs> I love the writing. I think the dialogue's really fun. There are good. There are good moments in it. There are good lines, but I think it's really the actors that are making it work. Huh. I think. But also, like, it's such a Chicago movie, and he's doing something in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can like, see that. I don't, I don't know what this character is, but he does not. And certainly there are Italian guys in Chicago as well. Um, but I just don't know what he's doing, and it's just, it's way too extreme. But for the, the thing movie. that I like about him is that, again, it's like she's so nice to him when he's hitting on her. Like, he, he's being kind of a jerk, but she. Stands up for herself, but is also like sweet to him. I don't know. It's just another example of her character. Well, maybe this Carlos quote will tip off and unlock your the appeal of this movie for you. You said, "Oh, it's so fucking sweet. I want to fuck it." <laughs> I forgot I said that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Carla wants to fuck this movie. It's so it's so sweet. <laughs> Carla is not sweet at all. Oh come on. Um. Sweet. Carl also said, look at this cozy outfit she's wearing with a cozy ponytail. I love it. <laughs> she looks so cozy. I wrote, Carla is destroyed by the big speech. What's the big speech? At the wedding? Yeah. Yeah. Sandra Bullock, when she finally comes clean, and she's just talking about how alone she's been. It's so sweet. And Bill Pullman's like, you should have just told me. And she's like, I tried. It was too hard. I didn't want you to hate me. I'm paraphrasing. I didn't remember this being a Christmas movie either, but it feels like it totally is. Yeah. Right? It it's is. like the days leading up to Christmas. She celebrates Christmas with her new family. Although, I could be misremembering this, but I think when I saw this in high school, um, I saw this as a double feature with... There was like a really weird Ricky Lake movie that was maybe also a rom-com. Uh-huh. What was that called? Hairspray. No. This wasn't the same time as Hairspray. Anyways, I think this came out in the spring. Okay. That's my point. Well, and Gremlins, by the way, came out in June. Really? Yeah. Gremlins came out the same weekend as Ghostbusters. I feel like that's something that doesn't happen anymore. That you would time a, yeah. a Christmas Am movie with the holidays? I might be wrong about that. Mm, I I think just the way that marketing works these days, you know. Uh, I mean, we'll get into this with a Christmas story a, a little bit too. But I, I think the idea of movies that were locked into a particular time of year just wasn't something that they were Worried about. really doing at the time. Right. Um, now it's just part of the uh, the rollout strategy. Right. That any movie with a Christmas connection, of course, they're going to put it out in November or December. Uh, and then Carl at the end said, it's so good, I'm just full of goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> what a nerd. My favorite parts are Sandra Bullock and Jack Warden's scenes. Yeah, they're so great. Jack Warden is Saul, the godfather. He does he's, such a great job. He's the godfather. He- 
Yeah, he really makes uh, – he helps ground everything. Okay, this the movie I was thinking of is called Mrs. Winterborn, <laughs> and it's with Shirley MacLaine, Ricky Lake, and Brendan Fraser. Oh, wow. I, I vaguely remember that title. What's it about? Connie, unwed and pregnant, is heading to Boston by train when she meets wealthy newlyweds Hugh and Patricia. The train crashes, and when Connie comes to in the hospital, she is mistaken for Patricia, who died in the crash with Hugh. So it's kind of like a – Mistaken identity, which okay. I guess makes sense as to why it was a double feature. <laughs> Two for the price of one. Two for the price of one. Well, maybe maybe I'll like Mrs. Winterborn better. No. I can't believe you didn't like while you were sleeping. Who said I didn't like it? Oh, I thought you said you didn't like it. I said nothing of the kind. So you loved it? I wouldn't say I loved it. Okay. But there, there's, there is intermediate space between loved it and didn't like it. Sure. And you know what that is? Uh, meh. <laughs> no, more than meh. Um, I don't know. What was it? Liked it. Okay, I, I'm wrong. Because <laughs> while you were sleeping came out in 1995, and Mrs. Winterborn came out in 1996. <laughs> well. But maybe while you were sleeping was more of like played the festival circuit for a while. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I. You know what? I can't talk about my past anymore because I don't remember anything. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on to Scrooged. 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 Yep. Uh, it's in the public domain. Anybody can adapt. Charles Dickens' and A Christmas Carol. And they sure Anybody have. Anybody sure has. And they did and they will. And they keep going. Uh, I feel like people or some people love Scrooged. Yeah. If you would have asked me a week ago, I loved it too. <laughs> and you're now changing your tune. Uh, so I think I said this on the last episode, but I believe that I'm pretty sure I probably saw it the day it came out in 1988. Yeah. And have not thought about it or wanted to see it again since. Um, other than vaguely hearing that it's become a holiday classic. But this movie, as I kind of said with the Solid Gold Dancers reference, feels I think there are references in it that already would have felt played out in 1988. Yeah, it's too reference heavy. They weren't thinking of making a timeless movie. No. Like, I had to ask you if you know who Buddy Hackett is. Like, that's. I know who Buddy Hackett is. <laughs> uh, but the whole, like, opening sequence, uh, <clears throat> which is kind of funny of, like, Santa, like, kicking ass in an action movie. Yeah. It, it's all dependent on Lee Majors showing up. And if you're a kid, like, watching this now, like. Right. I mean, even in the opening, they say, it's Lee Majors, the $6 million man. So if he, already in 1988, if they were afraid that people might not get that it was Lee Majors, yeah. then then you're really rooted to a particular period in time. Um, I watched this a lot when I was a kid. And I think we pinpointed what you loved about it, which is Carol Kane beating the shit out of Bill Murray. It's still really funny. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh so hard. I don't like slapstick as much as you do, uh, I think. But uh, but yeah, she's funny in it, certainly. Bill Murray had not played a lead in four years. Really? Um, because he did Ghostbusters. And then he did The Razor's Edge, which is a drama that he had wanted to make for years and waited to have the clout in Hollywood. It was a huge flop, and he got a lot of bad reviews for it. Yikes. And then in the next four years, he only did two cameos, Little Shop of Horrors and She's Having a Baby. He has oh. cameos in both of those. And so he had not really been in a movie in four years heading into Scrooged. I hope he got some rest. He got some money. That's for sure. 
and apparently what it did is it just drove up his fee like for every year that he sat out, which you'd think it would be the opposite, right? Like, yeah. it, like out of sight, out of mind. But it almost created this mythic thing of like Bill Murray's waiting for the right movie that I think that he's only like tapped into. Did it do well? Ever since then. It did do well. Oh, good. Yeah. It dropped off kind of quickly, but, uh, but I think it was the number 13 movie of the year. Okay. At the box office. Um, yeah. It feels like on paper that this would work, right? Yeah. You know, and I guess Groundhog Day is just a much better encapsulation of that asshole, cynical Bill Murray, mm-hmm. uh, archetype, yeah. you know, that he does so well. That's, that's just, a uh, a better movie overall, um, but it feels like Bill Murray playing Scrooge should work. But this movie is just really unpleasant. I think him playing Scrooge does work. I mean, he's Bill Murray, so of course he has some funny moments, some good lines. Yeah, I think the writing is weak, or maybe it was really great at the time, but it's just not. It feels like a time capsule in a way that isn't enjoyable. Yeah. It's not like nostalgic. It's just grating. <laughs> and it almost feels like, and th- this is before Bad Santa, of course. Yeah. You know, yeah, that they almost felt a little too proud of ourselves of like, hey, we're cynical about Christmas. Oh, I see. You know, yeah. it feels like they're trying to get points just off of the darkness of it. Mm-hmm. But like the whole, like the Bobcat Goldthwait stuff does not work. Right. And with him coming in as a uh, as a shooter, yeah, at the end, yeah, you know, definitely does not hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he's a television executive, and they have a montage of some of the programs that are coming up, and one of them is Father Loves Beaver. <laughs> Carla said, "I definitely did not get that when I was a kid." <laughs> in general, I like old and sad Bill Murray, and not young and obnoxious Bill Murray. Okay. That's just where my tastes go. I hated What About Bob as well. You're wrong. <laughs> um, Carla said early on, in case you didn't get it yet, he's a dick. Uh, when Marley's Ghost, it's not called Marley, but the equivalent of Marley's Ghost, played by John Forth- Forsyth, shows up. Carla said, uh-oh, spooky times. <laughs> uh, this movie did get one Oscar nomination. It was for makeup. It probably deserved like yeah. there's some there's some good makeup in this for the ghosts. Yeah. Like certainly David Johansson is the cab driver. Christmas past like looks really gross. He's fun too. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy his performance in yeah. this, definitely. There's times where it almost looks like a Terry Gilliam movie. Mm. And also one thing that I did really like about this was the cinematography. Like it's it, there's some great lighting in it. It looks really good. And I had a similar feeling uh recently when we watched The Lost Boys and I'm like this this cinematographer is way too good for this kind of movie. Is it the same uh, guy? It's the same guy. It's Michael Chapman who did Raging Bull. Oh, wow. And, uh, and tons of other movies. The cinematographer for Scrooged and The Lost Boys. He was finally like, I need to make real money in Hollywood. <laughs> so I'll do these. In that scene with the solid gold dancer, Carly said, that's true. I can see her nipples too. And <laughs> when <laughs> Bill Murray says, uh, really sarcastically, beautiful story. Carla said, ha, 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 classic Bill. <laughs> and he's got that repeated line when he's on set and he keeps saying, would you please hold the goddamn hammering? Carla said, would you please hold the goddamn hammering? You know, I'm going to say that from now on whenever there's a noise outside. And she looked at Benny and said, would you please hold the goddamn barking? <laughs> that is really funny. That's a funny run right there. 
when he's trying to like when he's going back and forth between being in love with Karen what's is her name Karen Allen? Karen Allen, yeah. Yeah. Um to yelling is very funny. Yeah. Yeah, he's Bill Murray. He's funny. Yeah. Um <laughs> Benny has pulled out every single toy that he owns. He is desperate for our attention. He never uses these toys. Never. What is going on, buddy? There's a there's a scene where a guy catches on fire on the set, and he said, I thought you were Richard Pryor. And Carla said, yikes, that doesn't work. No, that's really mean. Uh, all of Bill Murray's brothers are in this, by the way. When uh, the guy actually playing his brother is his brother, John Murray. And we're like, oh, why not Brian Doyle or Joel? And then both of those guys show up later. Oh, so that was his real brother, too? Yeah. His younger brother? Yep. They're all the, the Murray brothers. There's another bit that's kind of dependent on Bill Murray's impression of Richard Burton, which like, that's also like, yeah, who is going to watch this now and and laugh at that? Was Richard Burton a big deal in the 1980s? No, <laughs> but I think certainly if you were old enough, like you know, you would get the reference. Yeah, uh, I got the reference. Then. I mean, we know who Richard Burton yeah. is, but again, like I, I can't imagine like new people falling in love with this movie in 2020. Right. I think it's probably nostalgia for a certain for people of a certain age. Um, when he gets kicked in the nuts, Carla laughed like an idiot, and and he said, "It's so funny, though." <laughs> when Carol Kane kicks him, yeah, apparently because she keeps pulling his lip. There, when they were shooting it, she pulled his lip so hard that something ripped. Oh, <laughs> and they had to stop sick. shooting for the day. Oh. Um, I love when they go to Christmas future, like it looks so dystopian. And Carla said, it's like two years later and it's the hunger games. <laughs> That's so weird. And then when he turns into good Scrooge at the end, when his heart changes, he like gra- randomly grabs a woman and starts making out with her. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second. He's in love with Karen Allen. Carla said, why is he kissing her and not his girlfriend? This is so weird. Um, and and then Carla said, "This is awful." I think this is during the big speech that he yeah. made at the end, which is clearly just Bill Murray just riffing. Yeah, I think it's not great. He did not get along with Richard Donner, the director of this movie. I guess this is one of Bill Murray's big regrets that he really liked the script and felt like it uh, it wasn't the movie that he wanted to make, and that Richard Donner did not get the kind of comedy that he wanted to do. Ah, but it's still out there. Yeah. You can watch it. We Some did. I really like it. <laughs> um, Carla said, how high do you think he had to, to get to do this? <laughs> and then at the end you said, he is sweet, though. Phil <laughs> <laughs> Murray is sweet. Bottom line, Carla likes sweet. I do. Uh, what about around the, the holidays. What about this next movie? Did this uh, scratch your holiday urge for sweet? The Preacher's Wife. Yes. You saw this when it came out? I did. I saw it. I remember seeing it in the movie theater, but I can't remember if I was with my family or my friends. doesn't matter. Um, your family are your friends. I guess. <laughs> Maybe my friends is my, are my family. Um, I remember – so I was probably 16. When did it come out? 96. Yeah. Um, now you know how old I am, everyone. <laughs> uh and we revealed that so many times. Have we? Okay. Yeah. And I remember 
being disappointed because I thought it was a rom-com with Denzel Washington and Whitney Houston. Which it kind of is. It kind of is. That might be the weirdest aspect of it. But I wanted it to be, I wanted them to get together in it. Uh-huh. And so I remember leaving and being like, what was that? Clearly I was going through a rom-com phase. <laughs> coming off while you were sleeping. Yeah. You wanted more wacky contrivances to keep them apart. Yeah. Well, I wanted them to get together at the end. <laughs> um, so I remember not liking it that much. So this was the first time I've seen it since then, I think. I don't remember seeing it again. And I loved it. Oh, that's great. I thought it was so good. I mean, it's not a perfect movie, but it's much better than I remember it being. And I think it holds up pretty well. I had never seen this, and I also enjoyed it thoroughly. But again, it's like acting is the thing that can smooth over like any... Yeah. Denzel Washington is dreamy in this. I mean, he's always really cute, but he should do more comedies. Well, yeah. I actually like... I. I feel like I've seen probably 80% of his movies. He's your favorite actor. He's probably my favorite actor who's alive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love him. I think he's always great. You know, he always makes use of his charm. Like, he's certainly very charming. But right. he certainly doesn't do very light movies. Right. He does some action movies that have comedic elements to it. But he's never, since this, he's never really done anything that's a flat out. And this is a little more of a dramedy, I suppose. Yeah. You know. Uh, but nothing as light as this since this movie, and he would be great. He's genuinely funny in this. He really is. Like, I've never, I never, I can't think of anything I've ever seen him in where I laughed. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's always great, like you said, but yeah, I laugh. I, he made me laugh a lot in this. And I'd never seen Whitney Houston act. Which blows my mind that you've never seen The Bodyguard. Is The Bodyguard good? Well, it's iconic. Okay. It's iconic. Uh-huh. I don't know that it's good. <clears throat> I mean, 10-year-old or however I was when I first saw it, I loved it. I watched it not too long ago, maybe three or four years ago, and it's not great. But she's good in it? She's great in it. And yeah. And Costner's great in it. It's just, it's very sappy, I guess. I think she only acted in about five movies, which is a shame because she's really natural yeah. in this. Like, she's, you believe everything she's doing. I, I need to see Waiting to Exhale again. I haven't seen that since it came out either. Uh, and then Courtney B. Vance. Wonderful. Is always Love great. that guy. Yeah. He's a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> and Gregory Hines is the villain. So good. He's really good too. Also smoking a cigar. All the villains in all the movies of all time smoke cigars. That's how you know. That's how you know. So Denzel is Dudley the Angel. Uh, Courtney B. Vance is the preacher of, uh, of a local church in a rough neighborhood that kind of is, uh, is having a hard time staying afloat. Yeah. And Gregory Hines is the businessman who wants to gentrify the neighborhood and, uh, tear down the church. Uh, yeah, I've not seen The Bishop's Wife, but the angel is Cary Grant in that. So, I mean, Denzel feels very much in that Cary Grant mode of just like getting by on his charm, you yeah. know, and, um, but apparently like all that, that romantic subplot is all in the Bishop's wife as well. Okay. Which to me, I mean, it works definitely because of their charm and charisma, but if it's as a plot point, it's just a little weird to me that if like the angel falls in love with a human. Yeah. Woman. I, don't, I don't think it's weird. I think that there's three films happening here. Three stories, which is the romantic story between 
the angel falling in love with a human, which could be a movie on its own. It, and it is in Wings of Desire and City of Angels. Right. Right. But I was thinking with Denzel Washington. Yeah. Um, then the struggling family trying to keep their neighborhood church going, which is more of a drama, right? Yeah. And then the buddy comedy between the preacher, the pastor, I guess, and the angel. Yeah. And they're kind of like at odds with each other in the whole film. I don't know that they necessarily I certainly the buddy the buddy cop not buddy cop, but you know, preacher angel thing just disappears at a certain point. Yeah, which is a shame because I really like the dynamic between Denzel and Courtney B. Vance. Yeah. That scene with the two of them in the car is really funny. Yeah. And it's and it's ultimately disappointing that the romance takes over. I mean, that's always the fun with any, like, spiritual, supernatural movie, right? Same thing in It's a Wonderful Life where, like, that's part of the fun is, like, seeing the angel have to convince people that he's an angel. Yeah. You know? And we never really get that scene with Courtney B. Vance saying, hey, buddy, thanks for your help. Yeah. Like, I think the last scene we see with them together, he's, like, yelling at Dudley. Yeah, because the whole idea is, like, once Dudley's work is done, they're not going to remember him at all. Though their little boy does. Also a great performance by a kid. That kid is great. He's adorable. And uh, when he gets reunited with his friend, Hakeem. Oh, my God. It's so sweet. Yeah. Waterworks. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's one moment where Courtney B. Vance is shushing Whitney. And uh, Carlos said he put his hand on her face to shut him up. I would kill you. (laughs) I love that Denzel is fascinated by the Windows screensaver. Yeah. Uh, and Carlos said, and then he writes it down in his little book. And Carlos said, Windows 95 is in his angel journal. This angel's mind would be blown by computers now. <laughs> Here's something I want to shout out in this movie is the costume designer, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't look up who it was, but like his, his outfit, that gray yeah. overcoat and gray suit and gray hat is just, uh, awesome. It's very recognizable. It's, yeah. um, yeah, it becomes part of his character. And then at the end, with he makes himself the the angel on top of the tree. Yes, that's cute. It's so cute. As well. uh, and then Whitney takes over for the Christmas pageant when the girl playing Mary forgets her lines. And uh, Carla says, all those extras are like, I just got a Whitney Houston concert. <laughs> uh, this apparently is the top-selling gospel album of all time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, the soundtrack to, to this movie. Um, we, we've had this discussion all through the holidays, I think from another movie, I forget whether we talked about, about this in the previous podcast is who put popcorn on their trees. It was not, not something that either of us ever did. No, I never did that. I find it weird. I find it a waste of popcorn, but they do put popcorn on, on their tree in this movie. Yep. It's an activity for Courtney B. Vance and his son. <laughs> when I told you that I'd never seen Whitney in a movie before, you said, what kind of holiday can we have now, now that I know that? <laughs> <laughs> I ruined Christmas by uh, by not having seen the bodyguard. I can't believe I've never seen a Whitney Houston movie. Right. She was such a big deal for me. We got to move on, and we're moving on to Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Oh. This is a Muppet special that Jim Henson made in 1977. 
for Canada, for Canadian TV. Uh, and then it came out the next year in America. This is something that I watched a lot when I was a kid. I don't think I saw it when it originally came out. I think I started watching in the early 80s when I was very obsessed with all things Muppet. Yes. Um, they added the stuff of Kermit bookending the show for the American audiences. I think it wasn't intended to have any recognizable Muppet figures in okay. it. It's based on a children's book. And it's basically a twist on the gift of the Magi. Um where Emmett and his ma are poor. They are river otters. They enter a singing contest for the $50 prize. Uh, but each of them has to pawn each other's means of income in order to afford, uh, the entry fee. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Um, or, or, well, wash tub bass is what Emmett plays, but he's got to put a hole in ma's wash tub. Uh, that's what it is. And she has to pawn his tools in order to get her dress for the, uh, for the wow. singing contest. So Carla, you fell asleep right away in this. Not right away. Well, it's about 53 minutes. You, I think you made it through 17 minutes. Okay. That's pretty good. Well, that's the old Craigslist rule of a third. Mm-hmm. What'd you learn in watching a third of Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas? Um, that the Muppets are really cool looking. And also the sets for the Muppets, the the houses and the river and all of that is really fun. And I didn't like the music and I didn't like the mom's voice and I didn't understand the story and I got tired. Okay. Here's some quotes. What is this? (laughs) This is so boring. Is it almost over? At one point, I said, you're not even looking at it. And you said, well, it's boring. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's at one point a gigantic icicle uh, hanging from the eave of the house. And you said, is one of them going to get stabbed by that icicle? (laughs) I was hoping for it, I think. Uh, When we hear about uh, Emmett playing the washed-up bass, you said, that's what your dad plays, right? That's why you like this. (laughs) And it's true. My dad does play the washed-up bass. Cute. Uh, and then when the Riverbottom gang, who are the villains in this, come out in their jet skis, Carla did say jet skis are a nice touch. <laughs> that looks cool. We were talking with some friends about how uh, I think like a uh, a friend or a relative of theirs was trying to get their kids interested in Fraggle Rock. And they started watching and they're like, oh, yeah, this is too slow. <laughs> and this might be the case where just the rhythms of this as children's entertainment just feel so foreign to us now. Yeah. Um, you might say boring. I would describe it as gentle. It feels very gentle. Sure, we can use that word. <laughs> I think as as design, like it's incredible. Like, yeah. and I agree. When they're rowing their boat down that river, I'm like, how are they doing this? Where are the puppeteers? Yeah, it you is know, really neat. It's pretty great, and it's got all of the five original, you know, puppeteers from the the Muppet Show uh, <coughs> doing the me. the characters and the voices. Um. Yeah, I enjoyed seeing it again. Uh, it had probably been thirty years at least wow. since I since I so watched long. it. The songs are by Paul Williams. Uh-huh. Uh, who do you know who Paul Williams is? Uh-uh. I feel like I have to explain a lot to uh, get you. Uh, like, uh, if you have to be of a certain age to even know who Paul Williams <laughs> was, but he was omnipresent in the seventies. Uh-huh. He wrote. We've only just begun and rainy days and Mondays for the Carpenters. Uh 
Okay. He was a he was a songwriter. He wrote. I was going to say he wrote "Joy to the World," but he didn't. That's Hoyt Axton, the father from Gremlins, wrote that. But he wrote other songs for Three Dog Night. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, Hoyt Axton was a country songwriter who then dabbled in acting, and he wrote "Joy to the World" for Three Dog wow, Night. How crazy! Yeah, different words. That's the Jer- Jeremiah How was a bullfrog. Yeah. <laughs> uh. When the River Meets the Sea is a song from this that was also used in John Denver the Muppets Christmas special. With it, I think is a beautiful song. Feels like a standard, uh-huh. uh, but it was written by by Paul Williams. And the River Bottom Gang are uh, are awesome. And you missed their big rock and roll number at the talent show. I did kind of want to go back and watch the talent show. I'm a little regretful. Um, but yeah, I I felt like you didn't miss out on too much. Okay. To be honest, uh, though I, I enjoyed seeing it again. It, it definitely took me back and I love the Muppets and I think it's, uh, it's an interesting entry in their history. Yeah. But, uh, again, uh, like with Scrooge, I don't think anybody in 2020 is going to be falling in love for the first time yeah. with them at Honors Drug Band Christmas. Right. But You're what about a big a- Muppet fan? What about A Christmas Story? Oh, what a great movie. Is it one of the best movies? It might be. Movies, period? Not yeah. just holiday movies? I think it should be in your top 100. It's pretty great. It's so great. It's pretty great. Uh, no deductions for the Chinese uh, workers at the end? <laughs> well, it's that's not awesome, but it's also fast. <laughs> I mean, we've watched a lot of comedies from the 80s this year, and there's always a cringy moment in it. And this movie almost gets it all the way to the end, but has to squeeze in one racist thing. Yeah. uh, I don't have any excuses. It's not, that moment's not great. (laughs) It's not great. But otherwise, this holds up pretty well. I mean, this this movie is legitimately hilarious all the way through. It really is so funny. And it also just feels like... The family, you know, Darren McGavin and uh, Melinda Dillon as the parents uh, and Peter Billingsley as Ralphie. And then what's his brother's name? It's also an R, right? Robbie? Rodney? Richie? Richie? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, they just look like they're having a blast. Yeah, they do. Uh, they're This movie is silly but grounded in a, in a nice balance. You know, and because it's all through a child's That's eyes, what I was just about to say. and because it's all reminiscences, yeah. you know, and the narration is somewhat over the top too. It gives you permission to kind of to be a little broader. Well, all of the stuff that I mean, there's a lot of fantasy sequences, but even all the stuff that takes place, like that's supposed to be reality, is still slightly heightened. Yeah. But you totally get it because it's told from the kid's point of view. So it's how the kid sees the world. Yes. And how he takes in the information. Now, this is from the works of Gene Shepard, uh, and I guess it's not quite autobiography. I guess he was very cagey about how much was true and how much he made up. Yeah. Um, because his age, he would have been around the time this movie is set, which is like 39, 40 is what people think, though it doesn't tip off the particular year. He was like 17 or 18 at the time, so he wasn't quite Ralphie's age. Um but he was a, a radio performer. You know, he'd be a podcaster now, basically. Okay. <laughs> and so these were stories that he told on the radio, like, over and over. So there is, like, having the real guy do it and knowing that he had, like, rehearsed these well and knew, like, every 
inch of it. You know, the it's the confluence of his narration and Peter Billingsley's face that like yeah. really makes the humor of this. I think. Yep. You know, uh, and then eventually he adapted his radio stories into uh, into a book, uh, and that became a Christmas story. Aww. It's very episodic. It's very you know, Sedaris. It is very Sedaris. Yeah. He's kind of the David Sedaris of his time. Yeah. But the movie is kind of episodic. It's almost like a collection of sketches. Yeah. In a way. But it has that one through line of him wanting his BB gun for Christmas. Yes. Which ties it all together. Leads up to the, the Santa scene at the department store and then getting the Christmas present uh, from his dad. Yeah. On, on Christmas morning. Um. I had never really, I didn't watch this when it came out, 83, and then I didn't really, I was think I was vaguely aware of it kind of becoming a classic and mm-hmm. TBS showing it 24 hours a day right? during the holidays, but I've watched it for the first time maybe about 10 years ago with you. Yeah. So I'm kind of late to the party on this. I was too. We didn't watch it when I was young, but I, I think in high school when they were doing those marathons, that's when I caught it. It's one of my brother's favorites, so I remember watching it with him. It uh, feels like this would be the NRA's favorite holiday movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's a BB gun. (laughs) When there's the famous uh, sticking the uh, the tongue to the uh, (laughs) to the pole scene, Carla said, "I did this to our refrigerator door once, and I said, did it work?' And you said, "Yeah, my tongue stuck, and I ripped off a layer of skin, and it bled." (laughs) Gross. (laughs) Um. I'd always heard the bully's name is Scott Farkas, but apparently it's Scut. Scut. Scut Farkas, which is even what better. A great name. <laughs> Scut. Uh, show me how the piggies eat, I think. Is- <laughs> <laughs> so, you did laugh really hard during that. Uh, I mean, just the little kid, uh, his giggle <laughs> and then his piggy noises, you know. Yeah. And uh, Melinda Dillon is just a great mom. She is. In this. Um, I think I maybe told this story when we covered Close Encounters, but I just love her story of, uh, how she got cast at Second City, which was she was the first person to ever go on as an understudy for someone at Second City. She was the coat check girl, uh, downstairs at Second City. And one night Barbara Harris was sick, unable to go on. This is like during the first year that Second City existed. And Melinda Dillon, who, uh, who worked in the coat check room said, I know of all, all of Barbara's parts. Wow. And, uh, and I guess Joyce Sloan or Bernie Sollins or maybe like just trusted her and let her go on. That's crazy. And it's cause she'd been there watching the show every night. That's so cool. Yeah. What a great story. And then Darren McGavin is the old man, the dad, and that's another classic performance. Yeah, he's as so well. great. His fake cursing. <laughs> Apparently, he just improvised all that gibberish. Really? Because uh, he can't say any actual curse word, right, right? For the movie, but it's it's just great. And then it all leads up to the moment where Ralphie says "fudge." <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, but when he gets the leg lamp. Uh, Carla said, I love that he's so excited about it. Yeah. Like, it's it's the greatest thing that he's ever it's seen. Ever happened to him. <laughs> and it's not even made, like, lustful or creepy, right? I no. mean, that's probably part of the angle that it's the woman's stockinged 
leg. Yeah. yeah. But of like he's ju- he's just so proud of having won the contest and he's so excited to have the lamp. Yeah, and it's funny too because bef- earlier in the day he's like, "I think we want a bowling alley," <laughs> <laughs> and then the lamp comes. It's like he's a kid on Christmas morning. Carla said, I want to make a movie like this. It's kind of my sense of humor, right? <laughs> it's so cute. And it is. Like, it's it's that mixture of sweetness and goofiness. You know, there's some good slapstick in it as well. But ultimately, it's about relationships and uh, there's a heart to it. Yeah. It's like just enough bitterness and just enough heart for you. Yeah. And uh, it feels like the, the right chemistry uh, and I agree that it, it does line up really well with your sense of humor. Gene Shepard, the narrator, by the way, is the guy in line at the department store who tells him to get to the back of the line. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, he and his real life wife at the time, who was the co-writer uh, as well of the movie. Um, yeah. And Santa and the elves are really, uh, really scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <coughs> When he gets pushed in the face by Santa's dirty boot. Yeah. Uh, Carla said, classic, iconic Ralphie. <laughs> but then he climbs back up yeah. to, uh, to tell him about the, uh, the rifle. Um, and then when Ralphie has to put on the bunny outfit, mm-hmm. uh, Carla said, oh, that's awful. I mean, I'd love it now. <laughs> and this is coming from somebody who wore a full reindeer onesie. Uh, all day on Christmas Day. I can't help it. It's cute. Uh, well, I know what to get you next year. <laughs> Carla said, is it weird to have a crush on Ralphie? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would say slightly weird, but I get it. I get the appeal. <laughs> um, and then when he's got his rifle... Uh, and then nearly shoots his eye out, but he's protected by his glasses, but then he loses his glasses and he steps on them. Carlos said, how could you, Ralphie? You worked so hard to get here. <laughs> oh, Ralphie. And then the dogs come in and eat the, uh, the Thanksgiving turkey. Uh, and they've got to go to a Chinese place for, uh, for Christmas dinner. But, uh, I think... We've all had some great Chinese food on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day mm-hmm. uh, over the years. So the, that's very evocative. And uh, Melinda Dillon apparently was not told that they were bringing out a full duck or that they would chop the head off of it. And so all of her reactions, if you watch the movie, are totally pure and maybe a little out of character. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, She laughs an awful lot. She laughs an awful lot and it almost feels like there's she there's no way she thought they would use that take, right? <laughs> but that's exactly what Bob Clark, the director, wanted is just to get her reaction to it. Yeah. And it's wonderful. It's so cute. Uh, it's really endearing. Uh, and I wrote down, I definitely miss the winter wonderland feel of the Midwest. Like mm-hmm. we chatted with your dad and stepmom over, uh, Zoom yesterday and they got a light dusting in Kentucky, yeah. you know? Uh, and I think this movie just kind of evokes that very Midwestern feeling yeah. of what Christmas feels like then. Mm-hmm. In the same way that while you were sleeping. Yes. Does. Also in the Chicago land <laughs> area. Uh, Carla, you want to dole out some letter grades? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let's start with Gremlins. B. It's a B. I'm going to go A minus. Ooh, 
interesting. Okay. Again, like it was a formative movie in my childhood. Yeah. Like I very much associated with Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones and Star Wars and Goonies. It's and really all, fun. All that, that stuff. That might be too harsh of a grade for e. me. E.T., Poltergeist. Like it's all lumped in there with the other things in the Spielberg family. Cool. Um, while you were sleeping. A minus. A minus. What's yeah. the minus for? Um, yeah. I, th- I thought it would be a flat out A for you. Um, I don't know. I have a cold. <laughs> <laughs> COVID. COVID gives it a minus. Yeah. Um, I don't I'm, have COVID, just to be clear. <laughs> I'm going to give it a B. Okay. Again, it's charming. Yeah. The actors are great throughout. Have some script problems with it. I don't like Joe Jr. Uh, let's talk about, what was next? The Preacher's Wife. Um... B plus. Yeah, B plus feels right for me too. Like I really the, liked it a lot. There's a lot of joy and a lot of charm in it. <clears throat> Maybe a, a little too long. And when you talked about those, I thought that was accurate when you talked about the three different movies it's trying to be. Yeah. And each of those movies is kind of, it's not like, oh, they need, needed to get rid of this aspect of it. Right. They all kind of work, but then they don't mesh together. well yeah. together. Maybe. Um, I will watch that again next year. I liked it. Okay, uh, I don't know if I'm going to allow you to give a letter grade to Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I think you should allow me because okay. I was going to pass. Okay, great. I was going to pass on giving it a grade. <laughs> That's what your grade is, a pass? Yeah. Okay, I'll give it a B. Okay. Oh, Scrooged. We forgot Scrooged. This is interesting. Where do you go here? This was rough. I... C minus or D plus? Oh wow, that's harsher than than I'm gonna be. Oh, I'll go with C minus then. I, w- I was thinking C plus. Okay. Um, because it is still Bill Murray, there are still laughs in it. I think. Uh, again, I liked the look of the movie. I just think there's so many like references and jokes that do not hold up. Yeah. And probably didn't work so well in 1988 either. I didn't like it then. I was not entranced by it this time around. Okay. And A Christmas Story. A Christmas Story is an A. I'm going to give it an A <laughs> as well. You want to improvise a scene with me? Sure. Okay. Well, let's imagine it's sometime in the future. Um, and, uh, and Carla has maybe lost a little bit of her Christmas spirit. Um, she's, uh, she's kind of cantankerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot, and uh, she needs to be uh, maybe visited by some ghosts. <laughs> okay, Carla. What? Carla. What? Carla Kakowski. Are you singing to me? Nay, Snowden. <laughs> it is I, your old podcasting partner. <laughs> Craig Kakowski. I would have said husband, but if you want to say <laughs> well, podcasting part. We had a business together. That we didn't make any money on? Okay. Is that what you're all about now? Money? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was also your husband. And I'm dead now. Oh, but I, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here as a ghost. What's up, Craig? You're going to be visited by three podcasting ghosts. Wait, so you plus two? No. Me, yeah, okay, don't count me. Me plus three. 
So four. For a total of four ghosts. So you should say four ghosts. I'm just going to give you some notes here. You're going to be visited by three additional ghosts. <laughs> okay. We got uh, Karina Longworth to do <laughs> to do podcasting past. That's a good get. She's good. She's right? busy. Mark Marin podcasting present. Okay, I guess. <laughs> He's the kind of guy I never want to meet really in real life. I'd rather just listen to his podcast. And podcasting future is uh, uh, one of the guys from Reply All. <laughs> Still haven't listened to that. Still haven't listened to that. Oh, it's solid. Solid. <laughs> You've got to hear the one about, about the the earworm that the guy can't figure out oh, wait, what song is. I did is. listen to that. You did hear that, did. yes. Yes. Why are you guys visiting me? Look, you need to rediscover your love of podcasting, Carla. Should you say listen instead of look? Listen. I like that. I'll take that note. <laughs> you need to rediscover your love for podcasting. Uh, don't you want to visit podcasting moments from your past and see how much fun you were having then? Uh, no, I'm kind of busy. I've got a major company to run. <laughs> oh. I'm the CEO of a huge company. We make soaps. Really? What's it called? <laughs> soaps. With a Z? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to take you back. Uh, to Benny, humping the pillow <laughs> on your couch. He's dead now, too. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> All dogs die, Carla. Uh, not if you preserve them on screen. <laughs> oh, Carla, that was, that was so scroogey. Thank you. That was well done. I felt it. I really felt it. Uh... I think those ghosts were going to be able to uh, to convince you to uh, to fall in love with podcasting all over again. I think so too. I think they won. Uh, well, Carla, <coughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Craig. It was a really, really nice holiday. It was a nice holiday. Mm-hmm. It we were sheltering in place. It just had to be me and you. We we had some nice gifts. Mm-hmm. A lot of jigsaw puzzles. Yep. And uh, I, I'm wearing super comfy hoodie and sweats that you got me. You're welcome. It's just going to be a holiday period of lounging around into a 2021 of lounging around (laughs) until we can all get that vaccine and get out there in the world again. Uh, but Craig's listeners, we really appreciate, uh, you tuning in during these, uh, these holiday times. We really enjoyed watching 12 Christmas movies. We hope that you had a great holiday as well. Sending lots of love. Yeah, we're thinking of you. We hope you have a great 2021. Uh, excited for the new year and uh, a brand new start. Uh, love to thank Ken Plume for all of his tireless work on this podcast. Thank you, Ken. You're the best. He added some sleigh bells to Jonathan Dinerstein's wonderful uh, opening theme. He created some Christmas art for us as well. Amazing. And he, uh, he always does the uh, the audio for us so thank you ken thank you jonathan for your theme songs thanks jonathan and thanks to all the the craig's listeners out there for uh, for tuning in and uh, we wish you a happy new year happy new year you did it the list is an absolute good the list is life <laughs> <laughs>